When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And on the other half of the podcast, my name is Kyle Davro. Kev. Looks like we got a guest in the building today. Indeed, we do. This is uh, one of my best friends from home. This is uh, the one and only, most dope Mike. For those of you that don't know, follow him on Twitch. You know what I'm saying? The guy that does it all. The man, the myth, the legend, Mike Casado. What's going on, bro? Welcome to the show. Going on, guys. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. As always, Kevin. And Kyle, it's nice to meet you, bro. Yes, sir. The feeling's mutual, bro. And, And look... Before we get started, I think it's best that, that we let everybody know that Kev is one of the most diehard Mavericks fans I've ever met in my life. He might be the biggest fan I've ever met who's a Mavericks fan. And then on the other side, with Mike, we got a ride-or-die Warriors fan here. And we, it's kind of funny. We were making jokes like the last couple of days because Kev was talking about possibly having Mike on here. And I was just of the mindset. It's like, well, if he, if he gets on here, like I, I just want – you and him to just spar back and forth when it comes to the Mavericks and the Warriors topics. I could just sit back and chill. I don't have to say anything. I could just moderate, and then they could have the floor. But I imagine uh, we're going to have some pretty uh, lively discussions when it comes to uh, the the Warriors and the Mavs. So you boys ready to get to this? Absolutely. I'm ready. Let's go. All right. So first things first, we'll go over uh, the game one matchup between the Warriors and the Mavs that took place a couple days ago. I think it's safe to say uh, the Warriors did the Mavs dirty in Game 1. They won by the score of 112-87. to They're up 1-0 in the series. Uh, Game 2 will take place on Friday. So we'll talk about Game 1 a little bit. We'll talk about Game 2, just kind of like the preview going up into that matchup. And then after that, we will dive into what was an epic beatdown in Game 2 between the Celtics and the Heat. The Celtics just absolutely wiped the floor uh, against the Heat. Uh, currently, that series stands at 1-1 apiece. Uh, game 3 will transition back to Boston, but we'll dive into that, that Game 2 matchup where it was essentially a complete reversal of what happened in Game 1. So that'll definitely be a fun topic of discussion. And then we're going to round out the episode with uh, a segment that Kevin has been really looking forward to the last couple days, and Kevin really just wants to focus on Give some respect to Jimmy Butler. Uh, Jimmy Butler in Game 1, uh, granted, you know, Game 2 didn't work out as well for the Heat, but 
I think Kevin wants to essentially give some respect to Jimmy Butler and the game that he's been playing, not just like in this series against the Celtics, but really just his playoff performances this year and maybe, you know, going back the last couple of years with the Heat. So it's a relatively short agenda, but I'm glad that we have Mike here to join us. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this uh, game one matchup that took place between the, uh, the Mavs and the Warriors. And kind of like I said at the top, I mean, Golden State blew the doors off of Dallas in Game 1. They won by the score of 112 uh, to 87. Uh, this really wasn't a game where Steph or Klay Thompson really popped off. Steph had 20 points. Uh, Jordan Poole had 19 points. Uh, Klay Thompson had, I believe he had 15 points, if I remember that correctly. O- overall, this was a pretty, uh, pretty solid performance from Golden State, though. They got good production across the board. And with the Mavericks, the Mavericks had a pretty tough shooting night. Uh, Luka led the way with 20 points. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie had 17 coming off the bench. And uh, Jalen Brunson, uh, despite the fact that he's had a relatively good uh, postseason run so far, only dropped 14 points in that Game 1 performance. So definitely a lot of room left for the Mavs to improve after that Game 1 performance. Now, Mike, to kick this one to you to get this one started, what was your Uh overall takeaway from Game 1 between the Mavs and the Warriors? It definitely, it definitely felt like the Warriors took a page out of their old book, but added a few more tricks to it because it was like, like just like you said, it wasn't the biggest game from from Steph and Clay, but it was the fact that you know Looney had a great game, Poole had a good game, Wiggins had the game of his playoff career. It seems like already, you know, and it and it was rem- reminiscent of early the Warriors from this season when we were still, you know. And and the hunt for that one and two seed, like where everyone was just playing really, really well, and it wasn't it wasn't you know, wasn't full blowout player performances, but it was the fact that every single guy was on it, feeding feeding each other, picking each other up, whether if it was a bad foul, a bad tech, a bad shot, you know, turnovers, all that stuff. It was just to me, if Warriors basketball can stay at that level, I think we're unbeatable. So it it definitely felt like old meets new. Kev, you're up. Well, I mean, obviously, like Mike had just reiterated, uh, I mean, the Warriors kind of ran with it. Everybody produced. Everybody contributed. Everybody was doing their job. Um, Just like Mike said, uh, it's kind of like the older version of the Warriors where it's not one person killing you, it's the team. Um, On Dallas' side, couldn't really hit the front side of a barn. We had 19 three-point attempts in the first quarter in and of itself. That was just despicable, in my opinion. They didn't really try to look for other shots. They didn't really try to attack the paint. And, uh, you, you know, we we ended 11 to 48 from the three-point line. That's the biggest stat like, that kind of jumps out at me specifically. Um, what's crazy is I felt like we had a whole lot of turnovers, but in reality, it was actually Luka that had seven we, believe it or not, only had 13. Golden State actually had more as a team with 15, and they still found a way to blow the doors off of us because they were able to capitalize, you know, with them being the fastest-paced team in the league and us being the slowest. You know, when they got out in transition, they were able to make us pay for those few turnovers that we had early on. But you, you, you look at this from the overall perspective as a basketball fan in general, and I know that Kyle and Mike can both attest to this. You can't just rely on one source of scoring. You can't just throw up shots and hope that that is going to be your saving grace. Yeah. Granted, I'm completely understanding that this is how Dallas got this far was because we were able to knock down shots in the majority of the games that we've played. But when you go up against a veteran juggernaut like the Warriors, where you have to genuinely 
and I don't even say this sarcastically, you have to fear two to three players. And I only say the third one is kind of still up and coming in pool. You have to fear Steph. You have to fear Clay. When they get hot, it's literally almost unstoppable. So when you have that in the back of your mind, you have to scheme to run them off the three-point line. You have to scheme to make sure that they're beating you in paint, in the paint, or that other players are stepping up to beat you. In that case, we shut Clay and Steph down for the most part in the first half. Andrew Wiggins goes off for 15 points in the first half. Absolutely did not expect that. Kavon Looney was able to beat us down on the boards. Obviously, with us not having a true defined big, it got complicated. But the start of the second half, obviously, Golden State is the best third-quarter team, and they have been for quite some time. So they they ran away with it. Steph and Clay had a crazy quarter. I believe they only missed a total of two or three shots between the both of them, which is just absolutely insane. We weren't able to do anything at all. We weren't able to hit any shots. I mean, we had 24 points in the third quarter, but that was mainly in part to the last three or four minutes where we were able to get it going. Golden State started it off, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say like a 10-2, to 10-0 run, and it just it got out of hand quickly. Uh, so game one was not Mavericks basketball. Um, we're looking to make adjustments. Obviously, the game is tomorrow night, and by the time you guys listen to this, it'll be tonight. Um, and, you know, we have to make sure that we capitalize. We have to make sure that we play better defense and we, uh, we hit some shots. But my biggest concern is uh, us getting trigger happy. I've said it to Mike personally. I've said it to Kyle on multiple episodes. My biggest fear is that we're not going to learn our lesson and they're going to try to go through the, the, the shooter's mentality. You know, shoot or shoot, got to break it somehow, and we're just going to shoot our way out of it. We're not Steph and Clay, no matter how much we want to be. We have a lot of players that are multifaceted. And I think that we need to capitalize and make sure that we get their bigs in foul trouble. We penetrate and we get to the free throw line. Now, Mike, to kick this one to you, like, do you think that there's still some room for improvement for the Warriors, despite the fact that they won game one by 25 points? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, just like Kev said, you know, the fact that we had 15 turnovers or 13 or whatever, whatever, whatever it was, I think that that's always our shortcoming. No matter no matter what, it's always that thing of if we give up ten plus turnovers, we have games where we give up nine in the first half or nine in the first quarter, you know. And it's like we're digging ourselves a hole. Yeah, we could get lucky where they don't cap capitalize off off of those turnover turnovers, but stuff like that, stuff like you know, Looney getting into foul tr- trouble, Draymond getting into foul trouble, a- a- any of our guys, any of those like first like seven guys. If they get into foul trouble and missing shots, or even with Clay, like Clay's been so up and down throughout the whole playoffs, and sim- similar to what Kev is saying about Luca and his guys, like Clay's that guy that he wants to keep shooting and keep getting the ball, and we've lost games because he wants to shoot out, you know, and and get back into that, you know, get back into that rhythm. So it's like stuff like that can really fall against our favor. Um, I'm also a big. I'm not a big fan of Draymond running the point on every play. Um, I'm, I'm I'm an advocate for the pick the, the pick and roll. Um, every assistant that we've had, whether if it's Mike Brown or Luke Wal- or Luke Walton, like drives the pick and roll into every team, and it works. Whether if it's with Steph, Clay, or any other person, it always works. So I definitely think that there's always those little things where teams can capitalize on if we don't do it. Um, the biggest thing that I noticed in that last game that Dallas had against Phoenix was that you guys would capitalize off of trap trapping Booker and trapping Paul and just getting get get getting boards and using that mo- momentum 
into you guys scoring. Where it's like, I think if you guys speed it up on the defensive end, by the time you guys get to the other side and whether Luca's running an ISO or he's in the post or anyone else is in the post, it definitely works a lot better for you guys, mm-hmm. you know? But we were in a league where, you know, and refs and every other thing plays a factor. So it's like, as much as the Warriors need a lot of things to go wrong, Dallas needs a lot of things to go right to make it, you know, an even series. Like, like the, the one thing, like, I can look at... <laughs> You know, we're only one game into this series between the Mavs and the uh, the Warriors. But the, uh-huh. one, the one thing that has always kind of stood out to me when watching the Mavericks is just the lack of ball movement on the offensive side of the ball. And, yeah, and Kevin, absolutely. Kevin, you can attest to this pretty clearly. Like, you know, when Luka's running the point, I mean, granted, he's the ball-dominant player on the team. It's just everybody's spaced out on the floor. There's just no movement with any of the players out in the wing or out in yeah. the corner. Just... It is kind of infuriating, you know, as a Mavs fan, I would kind of assume that you kind of feel that way, just based on they're just not really running any, like, good sets. Like, you look at Golden State, Golden State has feasted off of just ball movement, setting up guys for just good shot attempts. Granted, if they don't go in, it's one thing. You know, guys miss shots. But it's like the one thing that Steve Kerr has really, I think, mastered to a science at this point is, you know, sometimes it's going to take – five to six passes, you know, essentially the ball going around in a certain rotation to get either Steph, Clay, or maybe even Jordan Poole a look. And you compare that to what the Mavs have. The Mavs may kick it once or twice. And then on that second pass, they might be looking for a shot. I just don't think that's really effective basketball. And Kev, you even said it. Like, they shot, what, 19 threes in the first quarter? They were living and dying by the three. It almost kind of reminds me of... uh, it's like they took a play out of the uh, the 2018 uh, Houston Rockets playbook, where it's like you know you live by the three, you die by the three, and the Mavs scored 18 points in the first quarter. I mean that's a terrible way to start a series when you're on the road to begin with. And look, honestly, I think Golden State kind of let off Dallas a little bit easy in that game one because even though that Golden State won that game by 25 points. They only scored 112 points. You know, there are times where we can see Golden State put up 125, 130 if they're really knocking down their shots. And granted, you know, I would say that, you know, Clay, Steph, they didn't necessarily have like their quote unquote best games. I mean, they got good production across the board. But if you're looking at this from a Golden State perspective, I think there's a lot of improvement, especially in the offensive side yeah. of the ball. On the defensive side, I think they did a pretty good job. You know, limiting Dallas to 87 points. Look, look you know, you hold any team under 90 points, you're you're doing a fantastic job. But I I think even, like, looking back at that game, I imagine Steph's going to go into game two thinking 20 points or 21 points is what I had. Like, I could do a little bit better than that. You know, Clay only had cool. 15. You know, Jordan Poole had 19. And didn't didn't the whole starting five finish with double digits in points? Yeah. Y- yep. Everybody. For the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like when it, when they have that, Steph and Clay don't have to go off. You know, it's it, like everyone else. Yeah. And that's the thing is like you can win multiple ways. There's not just one specific way to to win a game where you know Steph's yeah. going to drop forty points, Clay's going to drop twenty five to thirty. You know, granted, uh-huh. you know, you may put up one hundred thirty points on the board, but you only win by like two or three points. You know, yeah. This was a good. This was a good game one performance, and um, 
you know, I definitely think that uh, Golden State is looking at an opportunity where they can definitely go up 2-0 if they play their cards right. And that's where we're going to transition to next. Um, you know, like I said before, um, Golden State is up 1-0 in the series. Uh, game 2 p- takes place on Friday night. Uh, the Mavs are definitely looking uh, to get back into this series, uh, tie this one 1-1 apiece as this series trans- transitions back to Dallas for Game 3. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with Game 2 taking place between the Warriors and the Mavs on Friday night, who do you think is going to come out on top and why? So, for once, despite what the other two gentlemen on the podcast believe, I'm going to be positive. I'm actually going to pick us to win this game because I do have faith that our lineup is going to sit there and say, you know what, we didn't just get embarrassed. We didn't just play terrible defense, but we played horrible offense. We were not able to put the ball in the cylinder. Uh, we weren't playing effectively, and we weren't playing efficiently by any means. We know that Luke is going to take his 15 to 20 shot attempts a game. We know that Jalen Brunson is going to try to you know, keep up with him at certain points because if Luke is having an off night, Jalen's going to have to compensate and Spencer and so on and so forth. But what I'm looking for in game two is for Jason Kidd to put his foot down like he did in game seven for that Phoenix series and say, listen, we got to play team basketball. We got to find a way to continue to get their bigs in foul trouble. Draymond got into foul trouble a little bit towards the end of the second quarter. Looney had some foul trouble later in the second half as well. So if we can continue to get them in that mindset of, all right, well, we need to put in our backups. We need to put in our third string. We need to, we, we need bodies. We can't afford to have Draymond have five fouls in three quarters. Um, that's going to be where we succeed. Now, the counterpoint to that is we have to be effective with the shots that we do get. Granted, we shot 21 free throws in game one. That's a lot of free throws. We made 14 of them. 66% isn't going to cut it against a team like this. If we do get to the free throw line, we have to capitalize. Three-point shots, to me, have to get marginalized. They have to get cut down significantly by at least 20%. I am all for, if you're open, you got to take it. You got to make it, though. But Luka's contested step backs those four shots because of the shot clock being basically at two seconds um we gotta we gotta actually run efficient offensive sets offensive plays and i think that jason kidd is going to come at the drawing board and say you know what we tried it the way we did it last series this is a different team we got to be able to come at this differently now on the defensive side of the ball just like Mike had said a couple minutes ago, we have to be able to trap and deny the ball, which is probably the hardest thing to do with Golden State running consistent screens their entire existence since Steph has been in the league. Um, I know that our defender is going to get tired, but we have to find a way to dig deep and really, really drive the ball off of their hands and make people like Wiggins and make people like Draymond beat us on the offensive side because I will live with an Andrew Wiggins open 15-footer as opposed to a Steph... 23 24 foot open three so uh, we have a lot of adjustments i know that golden state does too but i think that we're going to come at this differently and i think that this team is going to come out angry that they got embarrassed after that incredible game seven performance in phoenix mike you can go ahead i personally think thinking about it more as as kevin went on i think the warriors as a team right now we're running at like 75 percent because we're doing we're, we're, it's true team wins where it's like nobody has to put the whole game on their back and go, hey, look, I, I got this, you know. And it if if we're running at that speed and still winning by twenty plus, you know, I think we're gonna coast, and I think it it can still work in our favor because we have guys like Steph, Clay, and Dre that can turn it up. Um, and the 
I, I think that's that that's where it pretty much stands. I mean, it, it's it's going to be a home court game for us. You know, um, the Chase Center's starting to sound like Oracle game 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 after game. Um, little things like them putting out the yellow playoff shirts instead of instead of the black playoff shirts, like like it plays a role within the fans. And when the fans are growing, when Steph is rolling, when Dre's rolling, when Clay's rolling, I think we're unbeatable. Um, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot for for Dallas to really go in there and and try to poke at us and poke 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 at the bear. But I think that we get the job done. And Mike, I'm in full agreement with you on this one, uh, Kevin. I mean, I hate to burst your bubble on this one. But uh, I just I like I like where Golden State is at right now. I think they could look back at that game one performance and think that there's still some improvement left, uh, based off the fact that Steph only dropped 21 points, Clay only had 15. You know, granted they had great production across the board because Otto Porter scored 10, Andrew Wiggins had 19, Draymond had 10, Kevon Looney had 10. So I mean, they, like they got great production, you know, as a unit. And I think you know going into game two. I think the Mavs are going to make better adjustments. I think, first of all, they're not going to shoot 19 threes in the first quarter. I think that'll probably be one of the adjustments Fucking that they'll make. Not. So I think that the Mavs are going to get better shots. It wouldn't surprise me if the Mavs actually try to get out to a, an early lead as quick as possible. But, you know, the one thing that Golden State has feasted on the last couple of years is going into the third quarter. They've just absolutely dominated it in that regard. And, I mean, in game one, it played out in that similar fashion. I mean, Golden State dropped 34 points in the third quarter compared to Dallas that dropped 24. So, you know, I'm looking at a scenario where I I think Golden State's going to try to put up 120 points. I think Dallas is definitely going to crack 100 points uh, just because scoring 87 points in game one, they could definitely improve a lot of aspects on the offensive side of the ball. I think the Mavs will try to move the ball a little bit better than they did in game one. So, I definitely think that we're going to see a better Mavericks uh, unit in Game Two. You know, I wouldn't surprise if Luca drops thirty, uh, just because he's been an absolute machine this postseason. But there's just too much firepower for Golden State, and you know the way that I see this playing out is I, I do think it will be a more competitive game. Um, I just don't think that the Mavs, the the one Achilles heel that I have with the Mavs is that their ball movement on the offensive side of the ball is really weak compared to Golden State and that, that's the one aspect that I think Golden State is going to take them to task for and I think that's going to be the difference maker so you know the way that I see it is I still see you know a comfortable win from Golden State it will be more competitive than it was in game one but but I see Golden State still winning this by 15 points so if I had to throw a score on it I'd, I'd put it like at 120 105 that's how I kind of see this playing out and then it would go back to Dallas uh, 2-0 in favor of the Warriors the Warriors are good, you guys. I I don't really know how to say. I know that's kind of like a basic take, but it's like they have so much firepower at their disposal. And if they get good production from Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins again, unless Luka goes out there and scores 45 points and Spencer goes out and do, does 25 and Jalen does another 20, I just I don't see it for Dallas in, in game two. Granted, you know, we'll see what happens in game three when it goes back to Dallas, but... I just think that Golden State has their number because Dallas has really struggled on the road in the playoffs this year, except for that one game seven 
against Phoenix just a couple and, of days and ago. And game six in Utah. Don't forget, we won to seal that away. Yeah. And we did what we needed to do. And granted, it wasn't a, it's a Utah. clean win. But, but I'm saying we were able to win when it needed it's to be It's Utah. Done. Okay. The, I, I listen. I, I don't di- bullet on my own podcast. I, 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 I don't disrespect. I don't disrespect uh, Donovan. Donovan was doing his thing. No, but it's everyone else in Utah. Yeah, but no. <laughs> I, I I got I got Golden State going up too well, and um, that's just kind of how I see it playing out. So I mean, look what happened. What happened last time? Steph, Clay, and Dre were all healthy in the playoffs. Championship. It speaks for itself. Exactly. Trust me, we're, we're well aware of the pedigree that Golden State has instilled in the league over the last seven years. We're aware that they won before KD. Everybody has this misconception that KD went to Golden State and that's when they started winning. Mm-hmm. This team changed when Steph clicked and got that second gear in his head to say, oh shit, I can hoop when I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. For those of you that are unaware, Mike's been a Golden State fan since well before the Golden State Championship era. We're talking Steph Curry getting drafted out of Davidson 2008, 2009, whenever that official year was. 2009. I started really watching like 2010, 2011. Whenever I could. You know, for those of you that are also unaware, me and Mike, you know, we've been friends for years. A lot of our group made fun of him for liking a random player that was always injury prone, a skinny kid that always shot, uh, you know, a skinny kid that could never stay healthy on the court. Golden State, what the fuck? Like... Mike always cheered for the Lakers because of Kobe, and you know it was kind of weird that he had kind of flipped a little bit, and then then Steph started to do his thing. Steph started to win. Golden State started to win. They win their first chip. Mike's got to get heckled. Oh, Kyrie was hurt. K-Love was hurt. They get Kevin Durant. Nobody was respecting him and his team. I'm not going on this rant to say that you know Mike is you know like the greatest fan in the world, but there needs to be some context behind it because. There are a lot of bandwagon fans out there that will claim to be mm-hmm. Golden State fans, but they can't name players on that roster from 2010. This man knows about the We Believe squad from 2007. This man did his research. He watched the games. He may not have been a fan, but we've been watching basketball since we was kids. So, yeah. bro, this if Golden State were to go back, I've told Mike for years, if Golden State goes back, Kevin Durant's not there anymore. All these players that were on this team are not the same, and they're older that goes to show how important that core three is to the NBA. When Golden State is winning, it's because those three are playing incredible mm-hmm. basketball. Yep. It's built. Built, not bought. I mean, aside from we made every – we didn't even make big trades. That I still think the biggest trade that we made was getting rid of Monte for Andrew Bogut. Other than that, I think Iggy signed for with Iggy. us. Oh, Iggy was a signing. That's right. I'm pretty sure Iggy was a signing. KD signed. We don't really trade players. The only trade that we did was D'Angelo Russell and, and, and KD. And we flipped that to get, I believe, Kaminga and Jordan Poole, if I'm not mistaken. Or, no, it was Kaminga and Moody. Like, the, the, no, it was Wiggins and Kaminga, I think. It was Wiggins and a first round. Well, you round got pick Wiggins and, back and then a pick, yeah. Yeah, so I think that first round pick ended up being Kaminga. So it was like the two trade the, the the two trades that we made basically, you know, started our our, our, our dynasty and like almost re- revitalized it because now we're we're in a really good spot where when Steph Clay and Dre are on their way out, we have Jordan Poole, we have Moody, we have Kaminga, who's only nineteen, might I add. 
We have Wiseman, who, which I hope he's not a bust because he just keeps getting sidelined with these terrible like injuries. But, you know, we're in a good spot. And hopefully we keep Kerr and hopefully we keep Bob Myers and hopefully Joe Lacob keeps finding money to pay all these players. So, well, I mean, so GMs, I can't, these I, GMs I can't be finding them, bread, bro. Oh, yeah. They just be finding it in the weirdest places, too. But uh, speaking of speaking of a good place, I imagine the Celtics got to be feeling that after the beatdown that they gave the Miami Heat uh, in game two. It's really kind of a tale of two different games because the Heat just absolutely destroyed the Celtics in game one, winning game one pretty convincingly. And then it was a complete flip of the script in game two where Boston beat the brakes off of Miami, winning by the score of 127 uh, to 102. I mean, kind of similar to what we were talking about with Golden State and the performance they had in game one. I, I mean, Boston in game two really had a great performance across the board. Uh, Jason Tatum led the way with 27, uh, but Marcus Smart came back into the fold. He missed game one, had a lingering injury uh, that sidelined him in, in game one, comes back strong, drops 24, 12, and 9. Jalen Brown chipped in with 24 points as well, and they also got some good production from Grant Williams. He dropped 19 points. Just overall, a great performance from, from Boston in game two to tie this series up at one apiece. The series does transition back to Boston for Game 3, so the series is looking to be pretty exciting as we go down the stretch here. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how impressive was it from Boston to tie this series the way that they did in Game 2 against the Heat? Well, to me, it wasn't impressive. Kyle, we called this going seven games. We predicted Boston to win this series when healthy. They didn't have Horford in Game 1. They didn't have Smart in game one. You see the difference that those two players provide. I understand that Horford only had 10 points and, what, three rebounds in this game, but in terms of his physical presence, his his presence with his length on the court and his defensive presence to just make sure that the penetration that Miami had in the first game did not exist as often as it was in the first, at least in this game. Marcus Smart... 24 points they didn't have last game. That's also 12 assists for him to facilitate and lead this offense. He also had three steals. The defensive player of the year, for a reason, was able to disrupt the flow of the offense in Miami. Now, I I also get that they had contributions from plenty of other players, but when you look at the two players that we mentioned, there's a reason why they went back out and traded to get Horford back. They were missing that interior defense because... Let's be honest, Tice was never that guy. He was a temporary placeholder to be a body. We know that Robert Williams has emerged as a premier defender at the center-slash-power-forward position. But when Al Horford is in the mix, you got Williams in the mix, and then you have that dynamic duo that is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, it's hard to stop. We understand that you know Boston has a great def- defensive rating. We know that they're the top defensive team in the league, but that's legitimately like taking... like a tire off of one of the best cars in the world. Like you're legitimately, it it can't function properly without it. And when you incorporated those two players back into this team, you saw the difference. You saw the spark. Marcus Smart didn't have the most efficient night from the field going 8-22, but his presence on the floor is enough. Diving for loose balls, making sure that he's getting all the effort in the world to harass Jimmy Butler, all those screen and rolls with Struess and Tyler Hero. He's going to be there. He's going to be in your face, whether it's a physical foul or him stripping the ball out of your hands to temporarily disrupt the offense. He does it all. 
And those players are absolutely pivotal. Kyle alluded, Grant Williams had 19 points. Peyton Pritchard had 10. So all around great performance. You look at Miami's box score. Jimmy Butler did his thing. Jimmy had 29. He just did not receive the, the support that he did in the last game. Jimmy had 41, but he also had a couple of different you know, outliers and scores in other positions. Vincent had 14, but P.J. Tucker only had five. Bam Adebayo only had six. Uh, Struess only had six. So you really look at it like, where is the offense coming from? Where am I going to get help from? And um, they were really struggling. They couldn't really find a rhythm. They shot 29% from the, from the three-point line and only 44% from the field. Boston showed why they're the top defensive team. And when they get that, that, that squad reloaded, they're a team to be reckoned with. There's a reason why the Boston Celtics are favored to go to the NBA Finals. Mike, you can go ahead. I agree with everything you said. You just left out that the green hair from Marcus Smart gives him a little boost, too. It's some, it's, it's some extra VC that like he uses when like he's out there but um no but for i um i totally agree with what you're saying um the celtics are the warriors of the east for me like the just the way that they play the way that you know the ball movement the fact that it's one through 15 going in and putting in effort on every win you know it's the fact that you know that they can rely on tatum to make that shot Jalen Brown and make that shot. And if not, you got Hor- Hor- Horford who's going to come out and have a random game where he's going to go 15, 10, and 6, you know, and, and it makes a difference. The same thing with Smart, you know, um, going into the playoffs, going into the second round, I really wanted to see Miami and Boston because it seems like from a basketball standpoint, that's going to be the best game. Granted, these past two have been, you know, little blowouts compared to tonight, which was a, a major one, but you know, I'm not going to count Miami out yet. We've seen what Jimmy can do and bring a team to six games, seven games, and to literally till he can't do it anymore. Um, I know he's a, I know Kyle Lowry's out. I know PJ is PJ. But the same way with Boston, if Miami gets firing on all cylinders, you know, it's going to be hard. You know, defense can only do so much and, you know, we know the character that is Jimmy Butler, and we know everything that he brings on and off the court. I definitely, I definitely think Miami can sneak one in Boston. It might not be the next one, but I definitely think that they can. And if that happens, then it's going to be really interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head here. I mean, Boston just came out firing on all cylinders in the first half. And it was kind of similar to what took place in Game 1. Boston got off to a very good start. It's just in the second half of Game 1, they just couldn't buy a shot. I think if I look back at that Game 1 performance, specifically for Boston in the third quarter, they scored like 14 points. Miami put them up for like damn near 40 in one quarter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at this game specifically, you know, Boston got off to a very hot start. They were up 20-some points going into halftime. And on the road, that's absolutely huge. It's just the difference with this game is they were able to maintain that cushion the entire way through the game. They really stifled what Miami made as far as adjustments are concerned uh, coming out of halftime. Because when you look at the box score of both teams in the second half, they both went point for point with each other. They both scored 26 in the third quarter, and they both scored 31 points in the fourth quarter. You know, if you're looking at it from Boston's perspective, you're already up like 20-some points anyway. 
as long as you match what Miami's doing, and Miami's the team that has to really kind of get back into it, you know, with them being down over 20 points, you can't be mad at that. Like, if you're going shot for shot with them for the most part, you live uh-huh. with that. And, you know, looking at just individual players that really stood out, I, honestly, it was, it was Marcus Smart. This game in particular really showed how big his absence was in game one. I mean, you know, usually, like, when I look at Marcus Smart, he he's really that energizer bunny. You know, Mike, you you were saying, like, they kind of, like, remind you of the Warriors, but, you know, a version of them is what Boston has in the East. And he kind of, like, reminds me of that Draymond-type yeah. player in the role of he's going to be in your face, he's going to be playing just gritty the entire way through. You know, granted, he may not put up, you know, like 30-plus points every game, but he could drop 20, 20, 25 points when the team needs it. Or, you know, he can get some big defensive rebounds when the team really needs it or get a steal. You know, that, that's that been Marcus Smart's M.O. for as long as I can remember. And it, just his presence in Game 2, I think, was the difference maker uh, that led Boston to get this huge road win. And Yeah, you know, for sure. You know, when this series goes back to... Boston for game three. I, I mean, I could still see a scenario where both teams split uh, the games in Boston and then it goes back to game five, two, two apiece. You know, both mm-hmm. of these teams are, are fairly, are, are they're basically pretty even level as far as I'm concerned. They're pre- pretty evenly matched. But I, I guess really the, the most interesting part when looking back at these first two games is just how, how big of blowouts that they've been. I mean, game one, Miami absolutely took it to Boston in the second half, and Miami never looked back. I mean, they won by double digits. They just basically just ran Boston out of the gym. And in this one, Boston did it to Miami. All right, so with that said, we're going to transition to our last segment of discussion. Now, this is one where I'm just going to let kind of let Kevin take the floor on this one. Uh, He wants to kind of reflect on Jimmy Butler's uh, impact for the Miami Heat at this point, Um, despite the fact that the Heat did lose game two against the Celtics, it was not because of Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's still going out there and playing phenomenal basketball. He absolutely carried Miami on his back in game one, scoring 41 points. So when you look at Jimmy Butler, he's been a model of consistency for Miami, not just throughout the regular season, but through the playoffs as well. And I imagine I'm not going to see anything change my mind about that anytime soon. But Kevin, I'm going to kick this one to you. Just, how do you measure Jimmy Butler's impact for the Miami Heat in this playoff run for them? I mean, truthfully, I think it goes just beyond his tenure in Miami. I think that Jimmy Butler is probably one of the most valuable players in the league, and I think that his reputation off the court kind of gives him a negative connotation. I think that people speak bad on his name because he's a competitor. Um, I think all of us here as former athletes who have played sports know what it's like to have that teammate kind of be in your ass and kind of like wanting the best, whether that be vocally or physically or just, you know, quite frankly, just an overall player that just that wants the best out of everybody. And uh, I really respect that from Jimmy. Jimmy's a two way player. Jimmy's a guy. If you don't already know his story, I mean, it's all over the Internet. Jimmy was kicked out of his house at 13. Um, you know, had to live with different friends, went to a Juco, then went to Marquette, got drafted, you know what I'm saying? Like a typical kind of like struggling storyline. And that kind of followed suit in the NBA where he was with Derrick Rose and the Bulls during that tenure when they were starting to come up. And, uh, you know, he lived through all those Derrick Rose injuries to where he had to lead the team and kind of get the reins. 
He was in Traded in Minnesota. He had the episode with Carl Anthony Townsend and Andrew Wiggins where he beat the starting five outside of himself, of course, with their third-string players in practice. That got a negative narrative. Goes to Philadelphia, has to play with Joel Embiid, gets a negative narrative because of how intense of a teammate he was. Goes to Miami, leads them to a finals in the bubble. I understand some people don't validate that championship because it's different. Now we're talking about Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals for the second time in three years. We're talking about the top-seeded team in the Eastern Conference again. These aren't flukes. All of Jimmy's teams outside of Minnesota have been competitive in the postseason. All of Jimmy Butler's teammates have said that he is a great teammate outside of maybe Cat and Wiggins. And again, I'm not saying that I've heard quotes. I'm just saying in general, people that have spoken about him, J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid, Derek Rose, Joakim Noah, every single person that has meaningful time with him has said, Jimmy pushed us to the point where he made us better. So I know I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent, but to understand what he's doing in Miami, you have to know his backstory. And I, I just wanted to get both of your opinions. As, as as NBA fans who have watched basketball since as far back as we can remember, I don't necessarily know a player like Jimmy that has been as consistent as he has throughout his career and has received as much slander as he has. So I, I, I wanted to give Jimmy his roses. I wanted to give Jimmy his flowers because he is doing this at a consistent clip. And, uh, I mean, Mike, you're the guest. I want to pose this to you. We grew up watching Braun in Cleveland, Braun in Miami, and the Bulls were at that stage where they were always fighting and trying to compete. But Mm -hmm. Jimmy Butler was that gritty player that you always said, that guy's going to be something special someday. And, I I mean, tell me your thoughts on Jimmy throughout his career, bro. I, I definitely think that, and this is just a personal opinion on me, that because we're in this, like, LeBron era, you know, like the 2010s coming into now is, you know, has been LeBron's era by the masses that some people find it hard to cheer for other players. And when you find another player that has the grit that he has, that has the competitiveness that he has, people tend to pick and choose who the, who they like. And I feel like he falls into that cat into that category. You know, he's he is that guy that goes from team to team, but wherever he goes, they're going to. They're going to make some noise in the playoffs. They might not make it all the way there, but they're going to make it there. You know, like when you bring up the the practice story, the first thing that comes into my head was watching the last dance and Phil Jackson's like, yeah, I would put Mike on the starters team. They'll be up 20 and then I'll switch the teams and make him have, have to come back. Like a real coach is going to see what he did with those third string players and go, Damn, he just showed up my guys. That's gonna fire up. That 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 should fire up my my guys. It shouldn't be a negative thing. But but that's just the way that we come from. You know? Even the little clips of like when he was on Philly and Ben Simmons was scared to shoot the ball. You see Jim Jimmy going, shoot it, nah, shoot it. Come on, let go. You know? And little things like that. We we take them as jokes and we take them as as memes, but I'm pretty sure that they go a long way inside that locker room. You know, the same way you said it. Joella said good things. JJ has said good things. Um, I'm pretty sure he played with D Wade in Chicago as well, right? Before D Wade uh, went. That might have been did. his. That might have been D Wade's year before he got traded. I don't know necessarily, but I, I think I think so. I feel like they were there at that at, at that time, and I feel like D Wade has said good good things about him, like as well. Or even in Miami, like he didn't go to Miami to be to be the man. 
you know he went there put in put 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 in his work and look he has a six man in Tyler Harrow he has an all star in Bam you know Kyle Lowry revitalized his you know career after his ring in like Toronto despite him being being hurt and they're the number one seed mm-hmm. you know and they have this guy um what's his name from the Magic and the Pacers all 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 the depot coming off the bench for him it's like you can't deny the fact that whether you want to call him a good player, a lucky player or not, like whatever he's doing, it works. You just have to put him in the right position where it can work, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, 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 that's where it stays. I don't think he's overrated. I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think he's toxic to the locker room. I just think certain teams don't deserve him. And when he's on a team that deserves him, look what they, look what they do. I think, the way that I see it, because let me be honest here for a second. Do you guys really see Jimmy Butler as like a flashy player, like a, no. a player that brings like a lot no. of like wow, like like there's a huge wow factor with him? No, nope. that's where I honestly think like this whole media narrative gets strung out with Jimmy, because I really do think that because he's not somebody that does something like what John Morant does, where he's looking to put somebody in a body bag when driving to the uh-huh. lane and just absolutely jam it on somebody's head. Like, he doesn't do that. You know, but the one thing that, that I've always appreciated about Jimmy is, actually, there's two things. First of all, he keeps it real. He's very honest. He like You're going to know exactly where he stands. It's like what Kevin mentioned with the whole Minnesota story. Like, when he called out the entire team, you knew where he stood, though. Like, there was no lies told in what he said. And the second thing that I appreciate about Jimmy is it's the model of consistency, but he ramps it up in the playoffs. And really where he makes his money is that mid-range game. His mid-range game, and the playoffs specifically, it's just money in the bank. And... You know, usually, like, when you look at these playoff games compared to the regular season, usually the pace of the games in the playoffs are typically a little bit slower, especially Uh as you get farther along into once you start getting into conference finals uh, rounds and then getting into the NBA finals. And to Uh me, it just seems like the pace that Jimmy plays at is just at the perfect pace as you could possibly put it. And he just thrives off of that. In game one against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, in that second half, he was money. You know, it didn't, yeah, like wasn't it the third quarter where he just he was, went on off. his own individual run? He, yeah. And the thing is, you know, he could drive into the he could drive into the lane. He could hit like a nice little fifteen to eighteen foot step back. Like, he, granted, I wouldn't say that he's like this dynamic three-point shooter that's probably the one element all. of his game that he kind of struggles in but i mean if he's able to score effectively shoot relatively efficiently i mean there's not much else that i could ask for and he plays good defense on the other side of the ball and i just think that he's a perfect fit for what miami is looking for he's that good veteran leader that can teach some of the young guys that are up and coming like specifically like tyler hero Maybe Bam out of bio. Like, even though that I look at Jimmy as somebody who is not like the best athlete, 
he's a, he's athletic like compared to us. Like there's there's mm-hmm. no comparison. Yeah. But it's not really saying much. Yeah, I know exactly. But he's just effective. And at the end of the day, no matter how it's done, if he's able to knock shots down and play great defense on the other side of the ball, that's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Is it going to take them to the finals? Potentially. But as far as what Jimmy's been able to do, he's been phenomenal. I mean, for God's sakes, the guy's been with the Heat for three years at this point, and he's second as far as the team is concerned when it comes to 40-point performances in the playoffs. He has five of them. Dwayne Wade leads the team with seven all the time. He's only two away from tying Dwayne's record, and he did it in three years. Like, that's... It's just phenomenal. And... He's a straight-up bowler. He's... He's Yeah, it's like, you know, granted, I wouldn't say, like, Jimmy's somebody that gets a lot of, like, MVP consideration throughout the regular season. Who cares? Honestly, who cares? If he shows up in the playoffs... Puts Miami in a position to possibly win an NBA championship. That's all that matters in the end. Those individual accolades. I, I I've always kind of thought about about it like this. You know, individual accolades are nice, but all of them would exchange that for a championship in a heartbeat if they never got that. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. So you know, to, to me, the way that I see it, you know, Jimmy's great for Miami. He puts him in a position to win, and he's got a very good. He, he he's in a great position to possibly get them to the NBA finals. Like. He's just that good of a player. Again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Again, that's the biggest thing people need to realize. Do it again. This isn't the first, yeah. isn't the first time. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I know it was a random segment. I've been kind of talking to Kyle about it for a while. I'm happy Mike was able to give his his input. It's just, I don't know, seeing all these negative stories and, you know, TikTok has so many different kind of like opinions on so many different players. And I've seen so many different things about Jimmy and it just was like, People out here disrespecting a man that that literally has given it his all in every single game he's ever played in and didn't get noticed until that meme of a picture in the 2020 bubble finals where he was literally like gasping for air when he played the entire game without a rest. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe maybe Jimmy Butler's not that bad of a guy. No, no, no. He's never been that bad of a guy. Society's just soft. And they want people to be quiet, soft-spoken leaders. And the second somebody gets animal or animosity a little bit, or you know, like vocally gets in your face, you're like, "That guy's a little too much." No, that was what Kobe Michael was. Did Michael did yeah. it. Kobe did it. Why can't Jimmy do it? Jimmy's not either of those players. Don't get that twisted. He's nothing like the two of them. You know, the mentality. I think, I think it's because compared to his counterparts, he plays boring. Yeah, it's like Agreed. it's like DeRozan. Yeah, I was People, just about to say that. I was just about to say that. They didn't. They didn't get why DeRozan was in MVP talks, and it's like, bro, if he's inside the three point line, if he's if it if it's an elbow shot, Bucket. no matter what time it is, you could put the whole team on him. Bucket. He's making he the shot. Make it. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with Kawhi. People did not understand why Kawhi was so revered by the Spurs and Toronto and all that stuff, and it's like. It's basic shot making, basic defense. It's just at a high level. Yeah. And it's like nobody else is doing that. So he's like, screw it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to show you how that playing. You can still play old school in the new school and still get the job done. And it'd be mm-hmm. effective. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens, though. I mean, you know, the series stands at 1 1 apiece with Boston. Uh, I imagine Jimmy's going to have his footprint on this series, no matter how it goes. But, um, 
no, I think uh, I, I think Kevin was right to definitely uh, show some respect and uh, commend Jimmy for what he's done this uh, postseason so far. So, you know, kudos to him. Jimmy, if you hear this, he lives in Florida. Get him some tickets or something. Like, you know, I know I'm Jimmy makes fan. coffee I'll too. Now. Are, are you guys like you guys like coffee? Kevin, you like, I like coffee? Uh, I like I like some coffee. Jimmy Butler's good with coffee. He makes coffee in the locker room and stuff like that. Jimmy, if you're hearing this, come on. Yeah, apparently <laughs> he'd be charging. He'd be he'd be charging like 15 bucks a cup to Bam. That's kind of funny. Well, because Bam is scoring six points a game, so you gotta yeah, pay. Got to keep him in check, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's hilarious. Boys, I think that's uh, I think that's all we got for today. There's nothing left on the agenda. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I just want to to thank Mike for joining us. We haven't had, that's, we that's haven't nice. had a, we haven't had a guest on in quite some time. So I definitely appreciate Thanks Mike. Thanks for having me Mike. guys. Yeah. Definitely appreciate you coming through. Uh, definitely appreciate you, you know, giving Kev the business here and there. Cause I always appreciate that just to kind of get, get I the, might bring uh, out my little broom tomorrow. I'll bring out the big broom. Exactly. Bro. But yeah. The bro. little broom will come out tomorrow, bro. But bro. It, you know, <laughs> You know, once again, I mean, just, you know, appreciate you for coming through and um, just thanks for being here, bro. Thanks. Definitely appreciate it. Thanks that. for having me, guys. It's, it's always fun. I always listen whenever I whenever I, I can. It's just Kev gets too, you know, riled up and negative for me. I like when he's positive. I like when good things ha- ha- happen for him. But, you know, some, some sometimes he's a little bit too much. Oh, t- trust me. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I deal with him twice a week on here, so... I just, no, yeah, I, yeah, I, times I, three, you know. Exactly. I just get used to it. So it's just, honestly, it's just kind of expected at this point. But, uh, I mean, Kev, the floor is yours. You could, uh, you could take uh, this on out if you want to. All right. Well, obviously, kudos to my boy for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And I was late, uh, well past your curfew. So we want to make sure that we get you out of here quickly. Uh, but to the everyday audience, thank you so much for the support. Audio, YouTube, Spotify, whatever platforms you guys listen, um, we wouldn't be here without you. Um, so overall, I mean, we're going to be putting out content like we always do day in and day out, trying to get the best for you. We're going to try to get some more guests. Like Kyle said, Mike's our first guest in probably about six, seven months between everybody's schedule and a couple of other things going on. We got some podcasts reaching out to us to collaborate. So we're going to we're going to try to make sure that we get that done and obviously try to expand our opinions and our knowledge to other people and other brands. So. Uh, you know that's soon to come but overall again mike shout out to you for coming on it's gonna be a great series smack talk aside absolutely and uh i look forward to you know when we when we link up again it's gonna be uh it's gonna be fun for sure for but sure guys Bud Light's on me but no 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 bud light platinum's on me <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. We will see you guys again. What is it? It's, it's Thursday night. We'll see you guys again Sunday night, and uh, we'll have some more updates for you. But y'all have a great weekend, and we'll talk to y'all soon. Yeah. See you guys Peace. later. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. 
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.